the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And you're probably like me, trying to endure these um, these stormy weathers that have uh, invaded our shores in California. Weather is cool today. Some rain on the way, as they have uh, prognosticated. And allergies, allergies, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, April showers bring May pollen. Well, the pollen is here, and you can... Hear it in people's voice. You may even hear it in mine. Uh, battling just a little bit of it, not not miserably, but um, it is there. Had to cut the grass this early this morning, and um, lo and behold, pollen flying everywhere. So be very careful. Um, around about this time of the year, I like to encourage people to um, make sure you rest, drink a lot of water, fluids, and uh, eat and drink those things that will actually encourage. Um, resistance against the pollens. They are popping up. They will pop up as well. I understand there's going to be some rain over the next couple of days, and then we will move into some gorgeous, wonderful, wonderful weather um, in any event. I am yours truly, Jesse Gistan, on this Monday edition of Lifeline, time 506 on an April 15th. This is the day. You got to get your taxes done, whatever you do, get your taxes dealt with um, over the next four, five, six, seven hours by midnight or else you know how Uncle Sam will do it. He will make sure that you uh, pay for being late on uh, on your taxes. So get that done. I uh, just finished up mine today precariously, um, reluctantly, but, um, uh, absolutely. So, so get it done. If you, if you haven't go ahead on and take care of that. And I hope you're able to get some money back or at least minimally pay into this system that so, uh, intently works upon not only, um, you know, hardworking Americans, but our tax system, our tax dollars definitely go to government. Uncle Sam, both in San Francisco, Sacramento, and Washington, from what I see on my paperwork, boy, we pay a lot of money in taxes. So I don't know how that's going to be resolved. You make The more of the money you make, you know the answer. The more they want to take a real disincentive for making money, but... Um, uh, we, I guess we better still count our blessings, right? I mean, if we can pay our bills and, and make our way, we're okay. Although I really do want someone advocating for me to cut back on our taxes because I think we are paying somewhere between federal and uh, national and income tax taxes and, and daily tax, sales tax, et cetera. We're paying something like 45, 50 cent on our dollar. If you didn't know that already, that's why your dollar doesn't go far at all. 
Uncle Sam is confiscating it every way he possibly can. So, you know, do the best job you can of uh, of overcoming um, the, uh, the 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 taxes uh, without getting in trouble. You know what I was thinking about over the course of this week that really kind of just want to uh, bring it to the forefront and see what you think about it. I'm looking at a uh, historical timeline uh, on uh, government accountability projects right now um, about whistleblowers, because when I found out that Julian Assange was actually uh, taken into custody recently, um, I thought, okay, here we go. Um, An individual that I think is is rather specious, curious, um, uh, an individual that probably falls in the category of um, what might I say? um, uh, Robin Hood, if you will, the proverbial uh, legend of Robin Hood, uh, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Of course, Assange is not taking money uh, from the wealthy and powerful and giving to the poor, but rather taking Information And in some cases, that's even more valuable in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I'm looking at uh, the history of whistleblowers in America. Apparently, ladies and gentlemen, there was a time when you could be a good, uh, upstanding statesman, a lover of the people, lover of democracy, lover of freedom, and be a whistleblower to the assistance of our nation's integrity to try to be uh, a people free. And operating out of virtue. I think I've said it a couple of weeks ago. Liberty without virtue is a what? It's a curse. So even though we carp for freedom, if we are not men and women of virtue, our freedom simply gets us in trouble. We have amendments. We have constitutional rights. We have laws on the books by which uh, American citizens, hardworking, law-abiding American citizens um, have freedoms by which we can challenge our government, challenge our our democracy, challenge our uh, our institutions, whether they be public or private, <clears throat> and uh, seek to bring them into conformity with uh, with the goodwill of, uh, of of the citizenry of America. But but the question that I'm going to pose here in a moment is if you know if you've known anything about uh, maybe the, over the last 10 years, the uh, Julian Assange, who happens to be kind of like the author and founder of WikiLeaks, that website entity by which uh, secret and important uh, official information is confiscated or either passed on by insiders working for government and institutions like the NSA uh, with, with Snowden. If you remember Snowden and his exposure of the NSA and all of their surveillance over <clears throat> over Americans in the world, um, work with a company like WikiLeaks to get data out to the people, information that in all likelihood we would have never, ever known information that in all likelihood would have never, ever been disclosed to the American uh, public because on the part of government, major levels of discretion are absolutely needed for them to do things that uh, would be as they would deem it in the best interest of American citizenry, but at the same time would probably be borderline, if not questionably, illegal or dubious and therefore would create all kinds of problem. If everything was as many people be are often touting, uh, there should be candidacy. There should be 
uh, wide openness with everything that everyone does at any time, particularly um, uh, government officials. There should be the kind of uh, uh, of exposure of their lives that people can uh, look at and evaluate and determine whether they're people of integrity or not. I, you know, I do have some concerns about extremism on the area in the area of uh, being overly candid because you just think about issues that go on in your own life. Or issues that go on uh, in, in in institutional settings where there are very, very serious judgments that have to be made that a lot of people on the outside are not qualified to even speak into, let alone know about uh, your own finances, your own your own resources, your own uh, well-being, the, the structures of your life. You don't want everybody knowing about that. And as parents, you wouldn't do that with your kids, and your kids ought not to know about it. So there are areas, I'm one of those people that thinks, well, be careful, because, you know, while we do not want our government behaving in a fashion that is so absolutely uh, unproductive and harmful to its citizenry, I do not believe it's in the best interest of us American people on the ground, particularly those of us who can't do a whole lot about what goes on in government other than make a bunch of noise and waste our time. um, I think we have to be careful about policies. And I'm looking at uh, 1773. Uh, This happens to do with uh, with Benjamin Franklin. Confidential letters exposed by Benjamin Franklin proved the governor of Massachusetts misled parliament to promote a military buildup in the new world. The governor was dishonorably discharged and exiled. All that occurred because of a whistleblower given information to Benjamin Franklin. That was 1773. 1777, U.S. Naval officer Samuel Shaw and Richard Marvin revealed the torture of British POWs by the commander-in-chief of the Continental Navy. The following year, the Continental Congress unanimously enacted the first whistleblower protection law. Ooh, there you go, getting close to home. You've got two U.S. Naval officers, Samuel Shaw and Richard Marvin, who revealed what we would call a kind of uh, foreshadow of of the Iraq war and the war in Pakistan and, and uh, uh, what went on in the days of Bush two uh, with POWs from Afghanistan and Iraq and the torture and things like that, that have been exposed through WikiLeaks. If you will, these men were protected in the following year. The Continental Congress unanimously enacted the first whistleblowers protection law. So there you go. Here's another one. 1872. Julius Chambers, one of America's first uh, investigative journalists, admitted himself to New York's Bloomingdale's insane asylum and published an expose proving patient abuse. Twelve patients were subsequently released and laws were substantially rewritten. So what what this particular case says is that in our institutions, like our medical institution, particularly insane asylums, where they viewed people who were not able to be hardworking citizens and operate operate within the parameters of the law and or were safe citizens on the streets. People that you could do 
um, all kinds of experiments with, make guinea pigs out of them. And, of course, you guys know that that's been going on for legions of years. Just take people into these medical institutions and, and, and I mean, you know, lobotomies, uh, b- uh, brain operations, experiment with them like they're lab rats. All of this has gone on in our world and we know it. And the only way we really do know it is because of what? Whistleblowers. Here's another one in 1933, closer to home through secret congressional testimony in a book entitled War is a Racket. Whoa. Retired Marine Corps Major General Smetley Butler exposed government's corruption known as the business plot that aimed to overthrow FDR's presidency. So there you go. You got insiders trying to overthrow the president uh, in uh, in a series of events that amounted to what is called wars of racket. Now, here we are in the 21st century and we all have a fundamental sentiment, don't we? That war is a racket. Why? Because our media now in terms of social media, has allowed us to be able to see all these events in real time because of freedom. And this is where, uh, you know, you don't want to give up freedom. I'm telling you, you want to be careful about the losses of freedom uh, in exchange for security because security and freedom are not equal mates. I'd rather freedom over security if to have security You lose your freedom. Be very careful now. Be very careful. And this is the tender balance that we're struggling with right now as we move into a fuller manifestation of what is called the new world order. Anyhow, 1962, through the watershed book, uh, Silent Spring, Rachel Carson, Carson exposed the residential effects of the residual effects of DDT chemicals on animals and humans, inspiring the widespread ban on DDT chemicals that went into effect in 1972. Now we're moving into the uh, business world or into industry where uh, big, big companies like uh, Monsanto and the pharmaceutical agencies have proven to be very unethical, very, very immoral in their findings and in their practices. And if it wasn't for whistleblowers, where would we be? We'd be suffering major, major effects as guinea pigs in our society uh, by virtue of uh, the racketeering and profiteering on the part of both government and our um, our business world, our business institutions that are so dear to our lives. The medical industry is a, a non-negotiable. We need it. We need pharmaceutical. We need government. We need big business on a lot of levels, but we don't need them to kill us. So what is my point as I prepare to take a break? I, I just want to ask you, where do you stand with Julian Assange? This is not going to go away for a while, and it's going to be precarious both for the Democrats and the Republicans, really, because they both have benefited from these almost millions of uh, email um Excerpts sent out by WikiLeaks on both sides from the days of of uh, uh, I'll say George Bush the second uh, George H Bush George George W H Bush no George W Bush and then all the way up through Obama's uh, presidency and now in uh, 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 Donald Trump's presidency now remember Donald Trump lauded WikiLeaks because it really did help him go over the top when it came to Hillary Clinton. But I want to ask you the questions. I want to see what you have to say about it as I get ready to take a break today. First question is, what is your assessment? Is Julian Assange a hero 
or just a villain? That's one. Two, is he your 21st century Robin Hood, a hero and a villain? Two, or is he simply a selfish villain who for national security breaches and the exposure of some of the most damning data on American protocol, particularly in the war in Iraq, is the kind of individual that we want to get rid of because we just don't want to feel like uh, someone should have the ability to pull a skirt up on our government. Uh, Again, is he a hero or just a villain? Is he a hero villain or is he someone that just needs to be completely eradicated along with every whistleblower that has ever come to the forefront? What's your thought on that? The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Of course, we've got a lot of other things to talk about on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your questions, your comments, your observations about issues. Let's get the conversation started. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You're listening to your host on the Monday edition of Lifeline, Jesse Gistin. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we've got two lines open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're talking about whistleblowers, the virtue, the dangers of them. And I'm raising the question about Julian Assange. Is he a hero or a villain? Is he a hero villain like Robin Hood? Or is he just someone that you are disinterested in or uh, don't even believe that these kind of people play any role in the benefit of our country in terms of our touted freedoms and our touted um, right to know certain facts? We have a Freedom of uh, Information Acts on the books that allow us to pursue data and information that we think is credible and necessary for getting at the bottom of a lot of um Let's call discretionary issues in our government, in our country, in our in our businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and sometimes the role of a whistleblower is critically important. I might also ask, is there a time when the role of a whistleblower can cross the line and become so dangerous that it really does does compromise to a significant harm uh, national interest? I I can't think of a potential case right now, but I'm sure there are those that are out there that might be able to to bring one to mind on this program for today as we think about Julian Assange. And uh, I I forget uh, Mr. Manning's real name. They they are all calling her Chelsea Manning. But, uh, you know, being born a male and now having gone through uh, reassignment surgery, they call her Chelsea Manning. I forget her real name. Um, But I think she did some prison time under Obama. Under Obama, she did prison time for helping um, expose uh, the atrocities in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, to WikiLeaks, to Julian Assange. And and I think Snowden did the same thing. I don't know where Snowden is right now, but um, here we go. We've got people on the run because they can't uh, fully explain or lay out some of the dubious or explicit facts. All I know is this. When I saw some of the footage of the scandalous and reckless and just heartless killing of uh, of people on the street in Afghanistan, it was just it was ridiculous. But you know what? When I saw it, first thing I said is I believe it because we have all known too many people who have come back from wars. 
who after they have gotten a little bit of uh, debriefing and maybe have gained and acquired enough health in their mind and heart, objectivity, uh, distance from a kind of irrational allegiance to, to, to the military that they could share with you that, man, I saw some bad things happen. And I've said it before, war is insane. I wasn't the first one to say it, won't be the last. War is insane. It's very difficult for a person to be moral in war on a personal level. I'm looking at one uh, 1969 Vietnam veteran Ron Rittenhauer, an ex-Army helicopter gunner, writes a letter to Congress and the Pentagon describing events at My Lay during the Vietnam War, including the torture, sexual abuse, mutilation, and mass murder of hundreds of unarmed civilians. Now, why would I share that with you? I've got two lines open. Let's talk about this. one 367 one I'm not talking about it to denigrate or belittle our military soldiers. I happen to think that uh, veteran Ron Rittenauer was a man with a conscience. My daughter's in the military right now. I just We just sent her off a couple weeks ago. She's going through boot camp right now. Plan on being a medical uh, military uh, you know, a uh, uh, soldier to serve our soldiers in times of duress and stress and war. That's what my baby is doing. The last of my eight children is right now serving our country. So I'm not at all talking about any kind of belittling or denigrating our soldiers. So don't if you call here, you know, you're going to get a serious debate with me on rational argumentation in terms of premise. And so but what I am saying is that. When this person comes back and writes a letter to Congress and the Pentagon describing events in my lay uh, about such atrocities as sexual abuse, mutilation and mass murder, I easily believe it because that's what happens when you cross the line into war. You have to leave off with inhibitions and control and restraints. And I'm sure if we were listening to a present day lieutenant or present day uh, major or general or someone who has uh, had many years of experience, they would tell us that we are a whole lot better today than we were in the Vietnam War. And in a lot of ways, I would agree to that. That's probably so. But I got a feeling that we've got so much more, so much further to go in terms of how we handle conflict. Not only in wartime scenarios, but even here in America. How do we handle differences? How do we handle proverbial conflicts, philosophical conflicts, ideological conflicts, political conflicts, religious conflicts? You see people in the religious sector just as bad and rabid and uh, fomenting, if you will, at the mouth uh, against their opponents as secular, unregenerate men do. It's probably because they are secular and unregenerate. My point is, is that whistleblowers pull the lid off for a season and cause us all to realize, hey, we need to be very careful about touting ourselves as being pure and white as the wind driven snow. Got to be very careful about our, our America's purity, America's greatness. Our, when I hear Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or any of the people so touting American greatness and American uh, wonderfulness at the level of almost just whitewashing real legitimate grievances. And I said, these guys are nothing but propagandists. 
There's nothing worthy of listening to them about since they are not even remotely self-critical, self-analyzing. And what we would say in the biblical context, honest, confessional men and women who know how to hold righteousness and sinfulness in the same sphere and context and strike the balance. We're doing some good, but we got a lot of problems. Now, when I hear that, then I say that person has a conscience. When you just go go to telling me we're not doing any wrong anywhere, anytime, in any place, you're full of BS. I've got two lines open, one 888 Jermaine, you hold on, and uh, let me see if I can get my screen up right. Nelson, you hold on. Two lines open, one 888 I definitely want to hear your views on this, and I want to advance this conversation just for the sake of, uh, well, righteousness. Two lines open, going to take a break. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back at the time, 536, two lines open, one 367 if you want to call and chime in on my fundamental questions about Julian Assange, who has now been taken into custody. He was an Ecuadorian sort of um, asylum uh, person. He, uh, he spent almost eight years uh, held in the Ecuadorian embassy for a long time. Uh, you know, we would just see him, you know, open up the window and talk to people from the window. But at some point, the Ecuadorians made a deal with either America or other parts of the world. And, uh, you know, Julian Assange is on his way to America. President Trump is acting like, you know, he he doesn't have anything to do with this is his State Department. This is the Justice Department's job. And of course, you know, that's probably the politically correct thing to do. But ultimately, he has a say in it. He used Assange's information in a braggadocious, boastful way. But here we go now. Uh, Julian Assange will probably become uh, uh, a villain. But I ask the question to you, is he a hero or a villain? Is he your 21st century Robin Hood hero and villain? Because, you know, villains aren't always bad. That's the dubious thing about this. Did you know Christ was a villain? Yeah, your savior was a villain. And yet he's also a hero. So it's not cut and dry. I I said this about a year ago in Sunday school. Last year, maybe a year and a half ago, I did a series on church history dealing with the the, uh, seven, eight ecumenical movements from from the era of the Nicene all the way up through um, the 8th and 9th century A.D., uh, all the way up to the great division, the great divide between West and Eastern Church. And I was saying that when you read all of the different historical battles and conflicts between, if you will, the Arians and, and Athanasius and, and the different bishops and, uh, and, and leaders in the church, all the way going back to, to, to Justin Martyr, uh, what you have is a list of heroes and heretics. And one man's hero is another man's heretic. You better be sure of it. Let's say you're a Calvinist. Well, there's a lot of Calvinists in the world, and I would be touted as a Calvinist. But for many of us, Calvin is also a heretic. Put it this way. Everybody that's a Protestant is a heretic to the Catholic Church, at least on a creedal level. On a statement level of uh, 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 of, uh, of of Catholic dogma, 
Everyone leaving the Catholic Church, embracing the evangelical community, Protestant churches, etc., are heretics. That is the official stance. So I'm asking you the question. Hurry up and get over the notion that you might be identified with a villain. I mean, you know, we've been dealing with that since all kinds of atrocities. And by the way, I'm going to ask another question just to see how erudite you are biblically. Name for me one famous whistleblower in the Bible. An individual who did much good by virtue of him exposing something. Since you know your Bible. Uh, got two lines open. one 367 Let me go to line one first and talk with Jermaine on line number one. Jermaine, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Good. What do you think about my topic today? Yeah, excellent topic. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about this because uh, I've heard several people try and look at Julian Assange as a pure villain because of the way he went about releasing information. But mm-hmm. For me, he, he's kind of like the dentist or an anti-hero where the, the dentist is the villain until you absolutely need the dentist. I, I think he did a good thing. I don't... <laughs> I don't know if I can comment on the way the information was released, but it's like when I hear people who are complaining about uh, Hillary Clinton not winning the presidency due to the emails. Like, well, if there was something of substance to release, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I think it's good when people are exposed at that level because it just speaks to the hypocrisy that we know is going on, but we can't always prove. And it's kind of knocks down people's heroes because when, when it's politic time, it seems like a lot of people throw away their, their Christianity and their beliefs, and they just have a lot of confidence. And they refuse to believe anything negative coming out of the mouth of their opponents. I agree with you. And you've been around for a long time now, at least one of my, um, you know, avid listeners for at least six or seven years. And, you know, every year around uh, election time, every couple of years, every four years, every eight years. And I've been on for about 11 or 12 years now, by the grace of God. Once we get into the melee of politics, you hear it on this program, how quickly professing Christians abandon what we would consider a consistent biblical worldview and ethical and moral set of principles around just logical uh, reasoning, objective logical reasoning, uh, you know, because of their prejudice towards a candidate or their prejudice towards their political position. And, you know, at Grace, we I really try to leverage against that kind of over-identification with your political allegiance because it's set up to create a dialectical hostility with your opponent in spite of the evidence and information that's put out there. I think you're totally correct. When information gets put out that's not skewed, that's not manipulated, that's not filtered with uh, innuendo or opinions on the part of the person that wants to put it out, when just plain naked data, textual data, or voice data, like the information that came out on Donald Trump when he's sitting in the van with the young guy Bush, who happens to be a, a kind of, uh, he was a, a spokesperson for, I forget what company, but he's got the tape rolling. 
And Donald Trump is just using the, the most guttural language you can about women. There's no there's no manipulation there. That's just plain, straight out fact. You don't have to uh, like the fact that your your candidate has just been exposed for being a hypocrite, uh, being a uh, you know a philanderer, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the facts. There's no way to make uh, the person who gave over the information by which the mirror was raised up on your your particular uh, person of uh, interest uh you know what more than what he is so i totally agree with you on on that level with res- regards to uh, assange i what i'm kind of asking though and i I'm, you've you've already in, inferred Jermaine, that we don't fully know uh what particular laws were violated in terms of what he did uh that being the case i'm not sure if we're going to ever really know uh, I would hope that in the information age that we are operating in, that there would be legitimate uh, legal advisors that rot, that have enough experience to know what should occur with uh, uh, Julian Assange versus him being silenced or him being so criminalized because we can do it. We can just completely massacre a person to where eventually the public sentiment is, you know, away with this man. And yet he can be he could have been very well within the parameters and boundaries of his right to pass the information on to institutions who would have uh, every right to to expose it. I think there were a couple, two or three uh, legitimate reporters that came out and said, if you put Assange in jail, you put the Washington Post in jail, you put the New York Times in jail, you put other news agencies in jail who also use whistleblowers uh, as part of their information gathering uh, tactics. So I agree with you. Right, and there's also there's a helicopter pilot. Uh, I know the incident that you were speaking of with the reporter Ron Wittenauer. Okay, his name was Hugh Thompson, and I had heard a story from someone about how he turned against his own soldiers. He was so horrible until I found out the actual facts that this man was so outraged by the uh, the brutality he'd seen committed on women and children that that was the only way he felt he can stop these soldiers from being in a frenzy. And he, uh, you know, he the rest of his life was kind of ruined. Absolutely. He did, in my opinion, was a heroic act, and he was willing to fire on his own men to stop them from becoming just completely demonic. Yeah, I fully believe it. I think we had several movies that have come out that have given those kinds of intimations. I forget the one with Denzel in it and the other individual uh, captain where uh, Denzel was given orders to do something that would have been completely wrong. And uh, he had to basically, you know, be uh, condemned as uh, committing mutiny until it was seen that he was acting in the best interest of the overall uh, I think it was the Navy. And then there were a couple others as well that began to raise for us questions about how do we balance uh, powerful agendas operating in the name of American interests, but violating protocol within their own institutions, as well as violating the larger uh, national or um, American uh, constitutional uh, framework. How do we balance uh, protecting them and at the same time holding them accountable? And that's really what our conversation is really all about. So I, I don't know, man. I think we'll find out pretty soon uh, whether or not our government will be interested in being able to say uh, Edward Snowden, Manning, and uh, Assange really did do us a favor 
uh, in giving and shedding light on atrocities and actions that really needed to be dealt with. Even if they were going to be dealt with behind closed doors, they should have been dealt with to be stopped. But since they had to be publicly uh, manifested, now we got to deal with whether or not he's a hero. And at the same time, maybe having violated some laws. We'll find out soon enough. You got any other observations you want to make before I let you go? I know just some. I think it's history is written by the winner. So whether he's a hero or villain, sometimes it's subjective depending on what side you're on. I agree. Thanks for the call. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, um, I'll take up Nelson. I do have uh, three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm still raising the question, and Jermaine, if you wanted to call back, you can. Who is the most famous whistleblower in the Bible? Who's the most famous whistleblower in the Bible, given the kind of scenarios that we're painting here that has to do with national interest and and, and activity that would be undermining of the national interest? And if they were to actually be able to execute them, it would have been a major atrocity, uh, meaning meaning this. There are times when you and I actually will have or know information factually, not just alleged, not just uh, twisted assumptions like people do, um, that if we don't share it, um, uh, guilt will be on our conscience because we knew that that potential was there and it could could have been catastrophic. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine three lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Before I am uh, amiss, this Friday is Calvary Night at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. And if you don't have a church home and you are not uh, available to um, to worship the uh, the crucified Christ anywhere, you are welcome to join us this Friday. It's called Calvary Night. We do it every year around the time of what we call Resurrection Sunday. We do not adhere to the term Easter. It is a pagan term, um, but Resurrection Sunday. And so Friday, where most people will call it Good Friday, we call it Awful Friday. There was really nothing good about it on a human level. We are at our worst when we crucified the son of the living God. So we call it Calvary night. And this Friday, we will be looking deeply into the historical facts with a redemptive implication and a worshipful reverential context of the Holy Convocation of the Saints at seven o'clock on this Friday for the people of God. If you don't have uh, any plans and you really do want to revisit Calvary uh, from Dr. Luke's vantage point, we will be dealing with it. We are uh, going to present a, a, a wonderful time of worship and music. And then we will walk through about 12 verses around the historic unfolding narrative of the witness of Dr. Luke concerning our Lord's suffering, his betrayal, his abandonment of his disciples and his mediatorial work on his way to Calvary to demonstrate that he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we will look at Christ, our Savior, once again, hanging on Calvary, uttering the seven last words 
and their implications. And we will ask God to show us his glory, the, the glory of the suffering of the only begotten son of God, the lamb of God. And if you're not doing anything, you are welcome to join us. Our doors will be open approximately five thirty six o'clock. We will start worship approximately seven o'clock and we will seek to prepare our hearts for the resurrection on Sunday. One more line open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine, one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Let's go to line two and talk with Nelson and San Mateo. Nelson, are you there? Yes, sir. Um, it's funny. I was asking one of your church members um, at one of the other hospitals I work at, you know, were you guys having something on Friday night? She said just a regular Bible study. I guess she didn't know. Um, I'm getting a tooth extracted that day and it's going to have to be done, oral surgery. But if, I, if I'm up to it, I have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off this week. So I am, I'll just probably just stay in the East Bay, you know, in the hotel the whole week, and I'll, I'll go over there and see it. Well, um, well, you don't have to talk, brother. You don't have to talk. I've been there. You don't have to talk. You can just, if they give you enough drugs, enough painkillers, uh, you'll be feeling pretty good. You don't have to talk. Uh, is it an extraction? Is it an extraction? Right, right. As long as there's no bleeding, you know, I, you know, I could shut my mouth for one day. You know? <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> but, All right. But the real question is, who would win a fight between Patrick Beverly and Kevin Durant? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I know you're going to come into my subject because you're a man of politics as well. But I'm going to tell you, I think that Beverly would would tear Durant's butt up. Don't you know? <laughs> Just forget it. Durant, just forget it. Leave it alone, brother. Leave it alone. Don't push it too far. The pit bull versus a great day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So what are your thoughts, man, on the Julian Assange issue? Is it is it uh is he a villain? Is he a hero? Is he a hero villain? Is he a villain hero? How do you see it, uh, Nelson? Well, um, I guess I'm kind of prejudiced because I'm a Baptist, but I'm a Martin Luther King man and uh uh, Spurgeon, man, and, and this is the type of See? atrocity that Martin Luther King spoke about that was happening in Vietnam. Yep. So if um, Asajj was, um, uh, you, you know, um, revealing those type of things, or, or the other guy who now is a girl was yeah, revealing Chani. those type of things, yeah. I, think we, um, I think we should know. Yeah. And they, they would be a hero for revealing that. Now, do you worry about um, data that would compromise America's interest around the world uh, at a level that could be considered treasonous, um, such as a Benedict Arnold, et cetera? Is there a line that these whistleblowers who are becoming definitely uh, heroes in many of our eyes, just because our government has been so uh, unprincipled over the decades that you and I have been alive, uh, including the, uh, the, the, the massive injustices that took, took place in the civil rights movement up to the present hour, of which I think you and I would agree that uh, Martin Luther King would still uh, existed to expire in old age if he had not swerved into politi- uh, politics at the level of the Vietnam War. Once he began to have conversations about Vietnam and the atrocities committed there, that took him over the top with uh, – 
with with our government, J. Edgar Hoover and others. That just took him over the top because its influence became so prominent that now he was rising above the mere uh, civil rights issue in terms of black folks and uh, Jim Crow. I, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, so what? Yeah, got to try to backtrack my thoughts. Um, yeah, I do agree. A line could be crossed. Like, for example, when I first started coming out here in the '80s, I was at a restaurant with my brother. Um, Is that your spaceship? You know Is that the mothership? Is that the mothership landing? Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta go. Sorry uh, about that. Gotta go. All right. I'll talk to you later. That was Nelson. He got to go. The mothership called him up. All right, let me see here. I'll go to line number one and talk with Tamara in, uh, in Oakland. Tamara, are you, are you there? I am. Hi, Pastor. All right, so uh, hi. And, and what are you up to? What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the, um, the Assange case or you got something else in your oh, mind? Yeah, no, I'm... I'm not good with that kind of stuff, but I did want to give an answer who I thought might be the biblical uh, whistleblower, whistleblower. the biblical whistleblower. Yeah. Okay, good. But before you do, let me go ahead and impose this again, because if you get it wrong, I I want somebody else to try to try because I might as well turn this into a Bible lesson. And then I'll talk about why he is such. Um, so so I, I raised the question, you guys, earlier as I opened up the topic around uh, uh, Julian Assange, and I'm really dealing with the issue of how we are impacted by social media, how we are impacted by government interaction with its citizenry, how we are impacted by citizenry responsibility within the context of freedoms and rights to um, both express ourselves and challenge our governments. And uh, while we were developing that narrative to which we are now devoting ourselves for this hour, I I crossed it over into the biblical world because that's what I seek to always do. There is a biblical correlation to the subject of whistleblowing. And I raise the question, who in the Bible would be the most prominent whistleblower that you would know? If you can come up with two or three, great. But in my mind, there's one significant prominent whistleblower that justifies the role of being a whistleblower in order for government to be safe, in order for citizenry to not find itself taken over or disadvantaged by unprincipled men, people, or groups who would want to take over the world. And uh, and I think Tamara wants to give a shot at it. So what do you think, Tamara? Who would that be? Okay, well, I came in late, so maybe maybe I, I might be wrong because I was going to say Nathan the prophet was with David, David. Nathan the prophet. Okay, so that would be somebody can call and justify and and, and support <laughs> support our sister Tamara in a certain way. Would it be whistleblowing when you know that the president is sleeping around, has slept around, shouldn't be sleeping around, but did sleep around, or the pastor? And uh, you know it. Now, this is not speculation. This is not innuendo. People like to, you know, start all kind of mess and poison the will by saying things that are not true. But principal people who will listen to information that's factual, not gossip. And and would it be whistleblowing for you to go to that person? Is it whistleblowing to go to that person or is it whistleblowing to um, maybe go to a public venue or other people who can do something about it? Because in many of the accounts that I'm reading here 
online about different whistleblowers in time past, you guys, they uh, <clears throat> they didn't go directly to the people because they didn't feel like going to the people would have amounted to the kinds of uh, results that they needed. They had to actually go to other people who could do something about it. And so, um, for instance, I don't know if, Tammy, you remember, but because you're a little young, but there, there was a, a group called Deep Throat who actually exposed Richard Nixon for the whole Watergate thing. And it was people on the inside who was giving information to uh, the media to begin to expose the Nixon administration for criminal behavior, as well as uh, participating in illegal activity in uh, Vietnam, which Nelson is talking about. So that is a situation where whistleblowing took place on the inside and then it was exposed on the outside. So, uh, long story short, I'm going to say I would give you a 50% right answer on Nathan the prophet uh, being a whistleblower to David. And I would let others, if they want to call in, justify you on that. Although the person that I had, if you listen, if you continue listening, you will hear a different person and then you'll probably get an idea of um of why I went with this person versus David. So thanks for okay. the call that okay. it's, you may okay. get justified. Somebody might call and justify you. We will soon find out uh, before I go. I think I will take a line number three and talk with Sarah in Palo Alto. At this point, you guys, all the lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. All the lines are open, and we are talking Julie, Julian Assange, and we are talking Snowden. I think it's Eric Snowden, and we are talking Manning, uh, people who have engaged in a trilogy of whistleblowing because of the atrocities committed by our government on a bunch of levels over the last decade. And and my question would be to you, if you are in the know about these matters, are you? Um, are we better off for the information being exposed? Are these individuals villains? Are they heroes? Are they hero villains? Are, are villain heroes? Are they a kind of Robin Hood who will pay the price for uh, advancing clarity and freedom in, in our world uh, at the expense of their lives? So, Sarah, what say you? Well, I'm going to answer your question. I don't know if I'm going to be correct, but I'm going to answer it, and then I'm going to answer your original question, are they villains, et cetera, uh-huh. um, with my answer. But oh, okay. My, you, oh, you're going to answer the biblical one? I'm going to a- do both simultaneously with my first answer. Okay. I'll try. All right. And by the way, I'm a, a new listener, but I, I, I adore you. I've spoken to people in your office. I, I mean, I just think you're the bee's knees. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. It's thank you, so, Sarah. Thank you. You're a new listener to, to this program? Yes. Like I, I, the first time I heard you, I called your office and I, I thought I was going to pass out because I had never. I told them I'd never heard preaching like that since I grew up in New York City and I went to a Harlem church in 1962 and I haven't heard preaching like that since then. So, <laughs> well, thank you for that. Well, thank anyway, I'm going to answer. Like, so you, you, you're, you're going to do a simultaneous answer to me. I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. Let me see okay. what you got. So I'm probably wrong, but um, first of all, I'm very thrilled with this choice because mm-hmm. it's a woman. It's Esther, and Esther, and and in my mind, I mean, obviously, she saved all the Jews from being annihilated. Of course, she went to the king. Mm-hmm. Um, now she took her life. She wasn't sure the king would even receive her. 
you know, she she was a little, uh, you know, scared, and, and so, but she went right there. She she he did receive her, and and he allowed her to come in. She told him the thing, and then she showed him the evidence. He wanted to see what was going on, and and you know the whole story. The best so I, the I, best I, story in one of the best stories in the Bible. I mean, fabulous. One of story. the exactly. I mean, you, we should make a movie out of it in like the right way because she is a phenomenal heroine. I'm so excited because I was, when you asked the question, I, I nearly fell off my, uh, tripped on my own feet to get to the phone <laughs> because I, I I was raised by a black woman named Esther, so I'm a little partial to the name. I got it. But, but anyway, uh, so that that's my choice. She was, but this is a, this is my second, uh, tying it into your original question, mm-hmm. because I think she did it in the right way. Now, she went right to the king who had the power. Right. And she, she she put herself on the line. She didn't know. He might have said, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, he, she, he might have uh, uh, not received her. You know, she wasn't allowed to go in and pray. I mean, everything was done the right way. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, I think to answer your question, obviously, there's some atrocities. Uh, you know, I, I was around in, in the 60s. I remember May Lai, the massacre, and things yep. like that. And, yep. of course, um, Martin Luther King, as you said mm-hmm. so brilliantly, you know, it's when he crossed that line and got into politics. Yep. And I think it was the Democratic Party um, who who was kind of the Jim Crow party. I think so, too. And um, the, the Ku Klux Klan. Without party. a doubt. Without a doubt. So we don't want to forget that. Yep. But, um, you know, she... And then, then the king said, okay, I want to see the evidence. Right. So it was done the right way. Now, I'm not saying there are times like the Vietnam right. thing where you have to come back and just say, hey, I was there, this stuff stinks, excuse right. my language. Right. But, but, um, but I think the problem with Snowden, he, he did uh, put some people at risk. I agree. Um, you know, and so, so to answer your question, when it's possible, I say go to the, the, power, the person in power who, you, who, who has the ability to stop it, Yep. and also do it the right way. Yep. Here's the evidence. Yep. This isn't just, you know, I'm not blowing smoke, excuse my language again, I don't want to be crude, but, you know, it, it, this, so, so I, I'm answering your question, I hope Esther's the right answer, and, and I'm answering your question by saying, you know, she is so magnificent because she, uh, on so many levels, I mean, she, people didn't even know she was a Jewish woman. She is so fabulous. I, I, I'd love to take her to dinner. She's just a, a, a sweetheart. Well, I did, anyway. a, I did a series on her. I don't know if you ever heard my exposition of it, um, Esther and the church, because she's a great type of the church of Jesus Christ, married to someone that fabulously loved her. The Old Testament is revealed in the new. So if you ever wanted to go online and look up our series on Esther, I think you might have some joyful, joyful um, revelations as to how much we just celebrated uh, her calling and her character and her commitment and her conquest over massive evil that was uh, forging itself against her and her her people. Um, you are 90 percent correct. Where's the 10%? Where'd I go wrong? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, yeah, just keep listening. The, dim- the, people that are the, the, the guy who went to, to Esther and told her? Of course. Yeah, of course. 10% because it didn't start with well, her. I, you didn't give me a chance. I was, I was excited about Esther. You're right. Of course, he, he, he got the ball rolling. She put her head in the news kind of speak to go to the king. But, of course, it was, you know, I guess. Uh, well, I love Esther, but of course you're right. I do, too. Of- I do, too. I love Esther, too. But it's a it's a it's a this is what we call a, 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 a um, dynamic duel. 
paradigm in the Bible, God often uses two people. And in this context, it's male, female. So now most people will know if they are even, even remotely biblically literate. So I got to take a break. I really, you you pushed up against the dam. Somebody, somebody just bust the dam wide open and let's just enjoy a revelation of a whistleblower tandem that makes um, this matter virtuous for those of us who know that, um, that God must be exalted in his righteousness. Sarah, thank you for the call. I got to take a break. Three lines open, one 367 Three lines open, one 367 Daniel, I'll get you when we come back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 